since 1973. Came out from Ohio, uh, from a little college called Cedarville College, and joined the staff here in 73, and have been a part of it ever since, and have been involved in the board since 78. It's been great to see what God is doing here. We're going to have some fun this morning. One of the ministries that, uh, that I have as I travel to countries do family finance seminars in churches. So what you're going to get this morning is a mini family finance seminar. On your seats, every other seat, there should have been a handout. I want you to get that handout. You're going to share it with your neighbor. We did about 400 and trust that would cover the chapel this morning. We're going to talk about some very interesting things. Look at some scriptures, see what the Word of God has to say. Trust it will stimulate your thinking a little bit and move you in a little bit different dimension when it comes to money. Two years ago, my wife and I were in Chicago. As we were coming out of Chicago, we were listening to the news commentator, Paul Harvey. And he tells his story, and he said it was a true story. When the Stars and Stripes was racing off the coast of Australia, and if you remember that race a couple of years ago, they brought the America Cup back to San Diego and all the hoopla that went with that. There was five crew members of that boat that had a day off. And so they decided, we can't come to Australia without going into the bush and seeing if we can find some live kangaroos in the wild and get some pictures of these kangaroos to take back to our families. So they rented a Land Rover, all five of them. Get in the Land Rover, they take off into the bush. They're going through the bush looking for kangaroos. And you know, when you try to find something, you can't find it. They weren't being very successful. So they turn around, we're coming back to where the boat was moored. And out from behind a hedge jumps this kangaroo. They hit it accidentally with a Land Rover. They get out of the Land Rover. There's the kangaroo. The driver of the Land Rover said, well, let's take some pictures. <laughs> so they started taking pictures of this kangaroo. The driver of the Land Rover had a very expensive athletic type jacket on, a Gucci jacket. He takes the jacket off. He puts it on the kangaroo. He put the leg of the kangaroo into the arm of the jacket, you know, having some fun. Standing back, taking pictures. Lo and behold, the kangaroo had only been stunned. The kangaroo jumps to its feet, takes off into the bush with this guy's Gucci jacket. In his right pocket was his wallet. In the left pocket were the keys to the rover. Now, I don't know about your imagination, but my imagination is as vivid probably as anybody's. What happened when that kangaroo got back to his herd? Hey, dude, where'd you get that knee jacket? Jacket nothing. Where do you see my credit cards, right? Okay. Take your hand out. Take your hand out. Take your Bible. Turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are living in a fast-changing society, fast-changing economy. The Word of God has a lot to say about the subject of money. And I trust as we share with you a few minutes this morning, you'll see what I mean. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 16. Follow with me as I read through chapter 4, verse 2. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? When we accept Christ as our personal Savior, he encompasses our very being. Our thoughts, what we are, and what we have are all because of him. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. How do you become a fool in the eyes of the world? By accepting the principles of the word of God. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, if they are vain or useless. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The word for stewards is manager. The word for faithful is trustworthiness. You could read that second verse there. Moreover, it's required in managers that a man be found trustworthy. We are to be trustworthy managers of the principles of the word of God. And it's not an option. It's a requirement. And money is a big, big part of that. In fact, 
When you study scriptures, you will find out that two-thirds of Christ's parables deal with money. In Matthew, it's mentioned 109 times, Mark 57 times, Luke 94 times, and John 88 times, or 348 times in those four books. One of every six verses in the Old Testament has to do with material possessions. Five times is more said about money than any other subject in the Word of God. That's amazing. Apparently, God in His infinite wisdom knew that we were going to need a lot of help when it came to managing our money. As you look at your handout, you're going to see three verses of Scripture at the top. First one, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, which we just read. Students, we all have an ego. Everybody in this room has an ego. I have an ego and you have an ego. And we trust that as we grow in the things of Christ that we learn how to keep those egos under some kind of control. Difficult to do. But it's going to be a battle we're all going to have as long as we're on this earth. How do we massage our egos? By making impulsive decisions. Where do we make most of our impulsive decisions? When we spend money. We get bored, what do we do? We go out and spend money. We get really bored, what do we do? We go shopping, right? We just go walking through the mall. That massages an ego. And the more depressed we are, the more money we spend. Second verse you see there is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. When I do a seminar, I like to use the term pray and sleep. We have an advantage the world knows nothing about. We can commit our decisions to the Lord Jesus Christ and we can sleep on it. Give God the Holy Spirit a chance to convict us in our heart whether it's right or wrong. You go through that every day. When you make a decision, don't make an impulsive decision. Commit it to the Holy Spirit. Ask God for direction. Ask God for peace of heart. That's the point. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known unto God. In other words, when you ask God for direction, be willing to accept his direction. And don't let that ego get in the way and say, I'm going to do it anyway. Many times when we do that, we end up regretting it. How many times do you make a decision, you look back a day later, a week later, a month later, and you say to yourself, why did I do that? Why did I commit myself to that? Because most of the time we made it impulsively. That's why. Now, let me give you six key financial principles. Key financial principle number one, pattern for living. Now, what I want to do is I want to transplant this auditorium and this gymnasium into Personal Finance Class 101. Personal Finance 101. Now, as chairman of the board, I ought to be able to give an edict, right? I ought to be able to give everybody that's here, every student's here, three hours of credit for free just by being here this morning. No way. No way. Right? All in favor, say aye. All opposed say no. No. The no's have it. <laughs> now, if you disagree with that decision, see Dr. Stead after the chapel service right down here by the piano. Principle number one, give to God first. You want to see God's financial plan? Take your Bibles and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. God's financial plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and then look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Both passages. 1 Corinthians 16, this is God's financial plan. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there may be no gatherings when I come. First day of the week, lay in store as God hath prospered you. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. But this I say, he which sowing soweth sparingly or a little bit, shall reap also sparingly or a little bit. And he which soweth bountifully or a whole lot, shall reap also bountifully or a whole lot. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. What is he saying here? Lay in store, first day of the week, you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. What's the result? God will meet your needs abundantly. Overflowing abundance. He will meet our needs abundantly. Students, we live in a generation where people think that God's going to meet all of our wants and desires abundantly. 
We live in a health, wealth, prosperity philosophy. You see it on television. You see it on the, in the news media many times, but you see it coming through the church. Word of God doesn't teach that. Word of God teaches that he'll meet our needs abundantly, not our wants and desires. Give to God first. As I travel the country and I counsel with couples, I find people who are committed to giving to God first, it dictates how they spend the rest of their money the rest of the month. And it works. If you're committed in principle in giving to God first, you get paid, you give some of it to God, it'll dictate how you spend the rest of the money the rest of the month. Number two, learn to be a saver. Learn to save money. Proverbs 13:11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. 21:20 says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Learn to be a saver. When you get out of school, learn to save money. I don't care if it's a $5 a week, $10 a week, $100 a month. Get in the habit of saving money. First thing you do is give some to God. Second thing you do is give some to yourself. That's the way you start the month. And again, it'll reinforce what you do with the rest of the money the rest of the month. Look at number three. This is really profound. Learn to spend less than you earn. Learn to spend less than you earn. The number one most violated principle in this country today. We have not learned to live within our means. We are the most prosperous nation on earth. We are the most prosperous people in the most prosperous nation on earth. And we live like it. And you'll see it no better than in Southern California. People do not learn to live within their means anywhere, let alone Southern California. That's why credit cards are so popular today. That's why there's so much in demand. Number four. Have some money in an emergency fund. Cash in an emergency fund. Have some money put away that you can get at if you need it. My wife and I have been married for 26 years. I cannot remember a time when we didn't have at least $500 put away somewhere in a savings account for emergency purposes. That kept us from using those dizzy credit cards, you see, borrowing at exorbitant rates of interest. Cash in an emergency fund. Number five, don't finance pleasure items. When you get married someday, you need to set down some basic principles of lifestyle. When it comes to money, you need to make some commitments to one another. Make sure you're going down the same track. Start it financially. I talk to couples who say we don't communicate. Put a budget together. You'll communicate or you'll kill each other. One of the two. But nevertheless, you'll communicate. When you put down a budget, you talk about goals, you talk about objectives, you talk about what you want out of your marriage, you talk about what you want out of your college education. Goals and objectives. One of those objectives should be we're not going to borrow money to have fun. We're not going to do it. We're going to go on a vacation, we're going to save for it. We're going to do something nice, we're going to save for it. We're going to go out to a nice dinner, we're going to save for it. Not going to borrow money to have fun. Number six. Protect your family with adequate life insurance. I put this on there mainly because you're going to get bombarded with opportunities to buy life insurance as students. You probably already have been. If you haven't, you will. Everybody's got something they want to sell you. Life insurance men go to seminars to learn how to sell. Probably nobody in this auditorium have gone to a seminar to learn how to buy. That's why we're so vulnerable out there as consumers. And one of the most vulnerable areas that we all live in is life insurance. Remember, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Life insurance is protection. That's all it is, is protection. It is not the best investment vehicle. You can buy term life insurance and invest the money differently and come out a whole lot better than if you buy whole life or universal life. Those two policies mean you just accumulate a savings. Term insurance means you just have insurance. There's no savings built into it. The premiums are a lot cheaper. It's being a good steward. Comes a life insurance, you're going to be very vulnerable. And you're going to be vulnerable very quickly. Because you are a prime target for insurance companies when you get along to be about a junior or senior, or get your diploma from college. What am I saying with these six principles? Have a financial plan for your life. That's what I'm saying. Have a financial plan for your life. What do you want to accomplish for the cause of Christ in your life financially? 
What do you want to accomplish for your marriage financially? What's important to you as a couple? What is not so important to you as a couple? My wife and I, when we were engaged, we talked about some basic financial principles. As we talked about it, we both came to the conclusion that automobiles weren't that big a deal with us. We buy a car, it meets a need, provides transportation, and that was the limit. So we've never invested money, a lot of money, into cars. That just wasn't our thing. When we first got married, we said, look, it's going to take us nine years to save, a mo save enough money to buy a home, to get a down payment for a home. We figured it would take nine years to do that. It's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to get married when you get out of college in, in July and have a home probably in September, unless you get a windfall from mom and dad, right? It just doesn't happen that way. We saved enough money and God sent an opportunity into our life when we were, after we were six years married. So sit down and talk about basic financial goals for your life. That's all I'm saying. Now, let me give you some practical things to think about. Look at this first statement. Less than 15% of credit card holders pay off the entire balance each month. Now listen to me. That means 85% of people in this country who have credit cards do not pay them off in 30 days. Do you understand that when you go out and you use a credit card, most credit cards give you 30 days free use of that money. You may pay a one-time annual fee for that card, $18, $25, $30, what have you. But when you charge something on that credit card, you usually get 30 days free use. When you get the bill for the credit card, you pay the credit card bill, there's no interest charges. Now, my wife and I use credit cards. We probably use them every other month. But we never use a credit card unless we can pay it with our next paycheck. That's a principle. That's a commitment that we have made to each other. So in 26 years of marriage, we have not paid one single dime of interest on a credit card. And Lord willing, we never will. But listen to this. 85% of, of people in this country that have credit cards do not pay them off within that 30 days. That means that 85% of all the monies is charged on credit cards is at interest after 30 days. Now listen to the numbers. The average outstanding balance beyond 30 days on credit cards now in this country is over $120 billion a month. $120 billion a month. The average interest rate on a credit card today is 18.6%. Now you calculate it out. That's about $60 million a day of interest income to the credit card industry. $60 million a day. That's incredible. USA Today, January 29th, 1990, had an article in it. In that article, it said Sears, 51% of credit card holders have a Sears credit card. 51%. In 1988... Sears had 1,649 stores, retail outlets, okay? 1,649 across the country. The total profit from those 1,649 stores was $154 million in 1988. $154 million profit on all those stores on selling their merchandise, sweaters, suits, what have you. On their Sears credit card, in 1988, they made $289 million of profit. You know what that means? You go down to Sears and you buy a sweater on a Sears credit card, they'll make two times more profit off that credit card than they will on selling you that sweater. That's the climate that we're in today. I had a guy come to me after a seminar one day and he said, uh, Jimmy said, a thief broke into our home and stole my wife's credit cards. He says, what should I do? And I said, well, when did it happen? He said, well, about 60 days ago. He said, you got to cancel your credit cards. What are you doing? He says, well, that's my dilemma. My wife spends less money than the thief does. So my wife spends more money than the thief does. Blew that. In fact, he said the only award our family ever got was my wife was inducted into the Visa Hall of Fame. How's that? Credit cards. I'll tell you, it's unbelievable. I was in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago. and You can go in Phoenix and buy a new car in some Oldsmobile dealers in Phoenix, and they'll finance 115% of sticker price. 115%. So I went to the dealer, and I said, what, what, I don't understand. What do you mean 115% of sticker price? That's more than you pay for the car. They said, well, we have come to the conclusion a lot of people are underwater with their cars. And I said, what does that mean? They say, well, you have a car that's worth 5000 but you owe $8,000 on it. It's worth five, they owe eight. 
The way Detroit has allowed financing and created financing for the purchase of new cars now, it's very difficult to keep your payment up with depreciation. So most new cars that are purchased today, you'll owe more, you'll owe less than what the car is worth. You owe more than what the car is worth. You owe more than what the car is worth. That's the climate out there. So I went to this bank where this Oldsmobile dealer did business with. If you have a $3,000 car that you owe five or 6000 on, they'll take that car in and trade in and loan you 100% of the new car plus the $3,000 you own the old car. Now, students, when it comes to buying a new car, you buy a car and you pay $15,000 for it, you drive it off that lot, and you put 100 miles on it, it's not worth $15,000 anymore. It's worth about 12000 so if you bought a $15,000 car and added $3,000 from the trade-in of your old car, now you owe $18,000 on a car that's worth twelve dollars after you've put 100 miles on it. That's not good stewardship. And they say they're, they're, they can't write the loans fast enough in Phoenix, Arizona. Unbelievable. Credit cards. Look at the second item there. Family with credit cards will spend 30 40% more than if they made purchases with cash. The easiest time to spend money is when you use a credit card. The next easiest time to spend money is when you write a check. The most difficult time to spend money is when you spend cash. When you spend cash. Of people with financial problems, 60% have borrowed more money than they can realistically repay during their lifetime. 40% have borrowed more money than they can even make payments on. We will never handle anything less significant than money, nor more outwardly indicative of our inward spiritual condition. That's Matthew 6.21. As Christians, we will never handle anything less significant than money, nor more outwardly indicative of your spiritual condition. You want to take your spiritual barometer? What's your attitude towards material things? What's your attitude towards money? Where's our heart really at? Where we put our money is where our heart is. That's the issue. The things that are important to us are manifested by where we put our money. It's not the high cost of living that gets us, but living high. It's not how much you make, it's how well you want to live. I'll counsel with a couple that makes $10,000 a year with three children to make all their payments. Then just about a month ago, I counseled with a couple that make over $100,000 a year, no children, and can't make their next house payment. It's not how much you make. It's how well you want to live. That's the issue. That's the issue. If you go shopping with a friend, you'll spend 10% more. If you go shopping with children, you'll spend 12% more. If you go shopping with your husband, you'll spend 20% more. My wife and I got married, and I'd go grocery shopping, and we'd, as it was true, we spent more money when I went along. So she, after about two weeks, she says, I'll do all the grocery shopping. So about a week later, she said, I think you ought to help with dishes. So I was drying dishes, and she got a china set for wedding present, a nice serving dish, and I dropped it, and it smashed. And She says, you're all thumbs. I'll do the dishes. Hey, fellas, in three weeks' time, I didn't have to do any shopping or do dishes. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Look at the bottom. 85% of divorces, the reason has something to do with money. 85% of divorces, the reason has something to do with money. Talk to marriage counselors. Financial difficulties usually start with money problems. Page two. Whenever you value something too much, whatever happens to it happens to you. Car breaks down, you break down. No one plans to fail, just fails to plan. Come back to planning, basic planning. What do you want out of life? What do you want out of your marriage? What do you want out of your college degree? What happens when you walk down this aisle someday and walk out with that diploma? What happens next? What happens next? What is your major? Why is it your major? What can you do with that major? Does it require a master's degree? Is it a marketable major? Can you go out and get a job with it? I hope you've thought that through as you go through your course of study here at the master's college. What's your purpose? What are you trying to achieve? There's a difference between a debt and an obligation. A debt is a delinquent financial obligation. An obligation is money borrowed and repaid according to agreement. There's nothing in this Bible that prohibits us from borrowing money. Nothing at all. There's a warnings. It's not a sin. There's nothing wrong with borrowing money to buy a home that's appreciating in value. You have a monthly payment, you make your monthly payment. You can't make your monthly payment, you're not meeting your obligation, now you're in debt. If you have credit cards that go beyond 30 days, you're in debt. If you have a car that's worth 3000 and you owe 5000 on it, you're in debt. That's the point. 
Difference between a debt and an obligation. Avoid hasty speculation. Proverbs 28, 22. He that hasteneth to be rich hath an evil eye and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. In other words, stick with what you know. Stick with what you know. I'll counsel with a fellow and he'll say, I'll say, why did you buy that life insurance contract? Well, I don't know. What does it do for you? Well, I don't really know. Why did you buy it? Well, I don't really know. Know what you're doing. Understand the decisions you make, students. Don't just make a decision because somebody talked you into it. Understand what you're doing and why. One of the things you're learning, I hope, for the Master's College, you're understanding what this book says. That's the value of a John MacArthur. When he teaches the Word of God verse by verse, he's telling us what the Word of God says and how to apply it. That should apply in all areas of life. Understand why we do what we do. Understand why we spend what we spend. Understand why we make the commitments that we make. Understand what you're going to do that degree when you walk out that door someday. Evaluate every purchase. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do what? All to the glory of God, right? All? All. That's what it says. Can you afford it? Is it the best buy? Does it add or detract? Can you really use it? Have you shopped? Is it a need, a want, or a desire? What's a need, a want, or a desire? A need is I need a car. A want is I want a Cadillac. But my desire is to have a Mercedes, right? All meets the same basic need. Just a little bit different price tag, that's all. Do you know you can buy a Mercedes now and get a 15-year mortgage on it? 15-year loan on a Mercedes? You know how many times you'll pay for that Mercedes? Do not cosign. That's striking hands. That's being a surety of debt. That means that if you have a friend that wants to buy a home and can't qualify with a bank to buy the home, he wants your co-signature. Because your co-signature will also help him qualify. Dangerous stuff. Proverbs six times addresses the subject. Proverbs six, one through five says, get out of it. Proverbs 17, 18 says, a man void of understanding striketh hands, becomes a surety for debt, cosigns loans. Very dangerous proposition. Contrary to popular thinking, one we both successful and honest today, totally open and totally honest. I want to spend a few minutes on this subject. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs. Students, we live... We live in a deceitful generation. We live in a generation that says, beat the system. Beat the system. Do whatever you can to accomplish what you want to accomplish, regardless if it means bending the rules. That's what we're taught. That's a humanistic philosophy today. Permeates everywhere, every area of this country, from the highest level to the lowest level. It's even creeping into the local church. What about being deceitful? You say, well, I'm not a deceitful person. I don't have problems with integrity. Hey, students, we all do. We all battle with it. I battle with it. You battle with it. Look at what the Word of God says. Look at chapter Proverbs chapter 6. Let's start with that one. 16 to 19. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Look at this. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, that's deceit, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked schemes, Feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Students, we're, Satan is in a divisive ministry today. You have some relationships here on campus. Satan would delight to sow discord between that relationship. He would love to create doubts in your mind about your friend. And he's good at that. Be careful. Don't buy into that. If you hear some gossip, go to the person. Find out whether it's true or not. Be careful. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 8. 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. That's a greedy person. That's a person who bends the rules. Ever bend the rules? Ever profit from another's mistake? Look at chapter 19, verse 1. Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. You know what a perverse person is? A perverse person is a boaster. A perverse person is a braggart. A perverse person is a person who refuses to do right. Self-willed. 
Look at chapter 20, verse 7. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Most of you in this room are going to have your own children one of these days. You want to raise children that's going to be children of integrity? Be models of integrity. That's the point. Be models of integrity. It's not what you say, it's what you are. What are you what are you at night when you go into your dorm room? What are you in your private life? Does it manifest your public life or is it a contradiction? Look at chapter 20 verse 17. This is a good one. A bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. I got a 1972 Pinot I'd like to sell you. It's a great little car. Thing gets 55 miles at a gallon. Never burns oil, never been in an accident, and you think I'm a man of integrity, so you buy my car. So you take it home and you drive it for a month. You find out that you take it to the gas station, you end up checking the gas and filling the oil, right? You get 10 miles to the gallon. You find out it's been in a couple of accidents. Now you come back and you confront me. Look at that verse. The bread of deceit is sweet to a man. I was really sweet when I was selling you that car. Now you've confronted me with my deceit. But afterwards, his mouth shall be filled with gravel. I can't even talk. I can't even talk. Deceit. Look at chapter 21, verse 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. Money made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow in a deadly snare. Students, once we buy into the habit of telling a little lie once in a while, we become habitual. And we start telling a lot of little lies a lot of the time. And the little lies become bitter lies. And pretty soon it's out of control. Bad habits. Look at last one, chapter 29, verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. The NIV says the righteous detest the dishonest, and the wicked detest the upright. Make no mistake, if you're walking with Christ, not everybody's going to like you out there. There may be even some Christians who don't like you. Why? You prick their conscience. You prick their conscience. Some people have a difficult time living with that. Now let me be very practical. I went to a restaurant with a friend of mine. He took his two boys, eight and ten. He pays his bill, I pay my bill. We're walking to his car. He's counting his, cha his change. The cashier gave him two dollars too much. He laughs. He puts it in his pocket. Gets in his car, takes his two boys home. He puts his two boys to bed. I said to him, Bill, what, sow, what seed did you just sow in the minds of those two boys? You stole two dollars from that cashier. Bill walks with Christ. He said, Jim, I never thought about that. Never thought about that? It's okay because she made a mistake. It's okay if you can get away with it. Went to a cafeteria. Going down the cafeteria line. A friend of mine with me, his name is Ed. He gets his meal, roll, a pat of butter. Second pat of butter is eight cents. He takes a second pat of butter, he slays another rim of his plate. We get to the cashier. She's adding up his meal. I said to him, what about the pat of butter underneath the rim of your plate? You know, we're still friends, but... Hey, that's deceit. That's deceit. Went to Michigan two years ago to buy a car. Bought an 82 Oldsmobile. Paid $2,800 for it. I went to the window to get the title of the car. The guy at the window says, do you want a bill of sale? I said, sure, I want a bill of sale. Why wouldn't I want a bill of sale? He says, well, where do you live? Well, we lived in Washington at the time. He says, what's your sales tax in Washington? I said, 7.8%. You go to Washington, you register the car, you pay 7.8% sales tax times $2,800, okay? He says, don't take a bill of sale. When you go to Washington and register the car, tell them you paid $1,000 for it. Then you only pay 7.8% of $1,000, not $2,800. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not honest. Would you please give me a bill of sale for $2,800? My son Jim was with me. We're walking to the car. Jim says to me, did you see the look on his face when you said that? I said, no. He said, he thought you were from some other planet. That's the system. Beat the system. That has no place in the mind of a Christian. No place. Now, let me really get personal. Hey, guys, you take your dates out to lunch. You take her to a restaurant. She gets a salad bar. 
You get a sandwich. And you mooch off her salad bar. That's deceit. That's stealing from that restaurant. That's not integrity. You take a couple with you that you're trying to witness for Christ. They're going to see you do that. And what are they going to conclude? You're no different than I am. What are you telling me about truth and integrity? You don't live it. We need to wake up every day. When we have our devotions, we need to ask God to keep us true to the word of God. That we be men and women of impeccable, impeccable integrity. Don't be deceitful. Turn to page three. Basic budget worksheet. Someday you're going to have to have a budget. You've got to have one now. It's a good place to practice it. Account for every dollar you spend in the course of a month. Your mom and dad send you $500 for the month of March to spend any way you want? Account for it. Really? We've always given Jim $500 a month. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> How about $5 a month? Keep track of every dollar you spend in the month of March. See if you can keep track of where your money goes. See if at the end of the month you can account for every dollar that you had and see if you can account for where every dollar went. See if you can do that. This is a good discipline when you get out of college and start earning an income. To account for every dollar you make. I will say this. 99.99999% of couples that I counsel with can't tell me where their money goes. They think they know, but they can't tell me where it goes. I'll have a couple, I'll say to them, What's your outstanding bill on your Visa credit card? Well, it's $300. I'll say to them, can I see your last Visa statement? Sure. It says $3,000. I say, oh, no problem. You just missed a digit. They don't know what they owe. They don't know what they owe. Page four. Know what interest will do. Know what interest will do. Look at this. There's a little rule called the rule of 72s. It's a compound interest rule. Let me give you a test. Let's say you put $1,000 in a savings account. And let's say you're getting 8% interest on that $1,000 in that savings account. How long will it take it to double to $2,000? Anybody know? Nine years. All right, you get an A. Nine years. You take the interest rate of 8 and divide it into 72, you get 9. 1,000 will become 2,000 in 9 years. If you're getting 10% interest, you put 10% 10 interest into 72, it's 7.2. Your money will double every 7.2 years. That's the rule of 72s. Now, look at the other example. If you invest $10,000 at 10%, look how it grows. After 10 years, it'll be worth 25,000. 15 years, 41,000. After 25 years, it'll be worth 108,000. So I'm coming back to my point. Learn to save money. Look at this one. If you invest $2,000 a year to age 65, and let's say you put it in a pension plan. Now, pension plans are tax sheltered. That means you don't pay tax on them until you take it out at 65. Now, let's say you start at age 40, and you put $2,000 a year into an IRA or into a savings account that's tax sheltered. If you average 8% interest from age 40 to age 65 at $2,000 a year, when you're 65, you have $169,000. Or $1,365 a month of income. If you average 11% a year, you'll have 288000 If you average 14% a year, you'll have over 500000 See how it grows? Now look at the next example. Let's say you take a dollar a day and invest it at 12% and it compounded. You know what compound interest means? If you put $1,000 in the savings account and get 10%, how much do you have at the end of the year? 10% of 1000 is what? Math majors, 100. So at the end of the year, you have $1,100, right? Now, the next year, you get 10% of $1,100. How much do you have at the end of the second year? $12,100. It grows. You get more interest because it compounds. You get interest on interest, okay? Now, you take a dollar a day, put it in a savings account at 12% interest, and it'll compound to your 65. If you begin saving a dollar a day when you're 25, you end up with almost $300, when you're 65, $300,000. If you wait till you're age 26, you'll end up with $264,000. Wait till you're age 30, you'll end up with only $116,000. Why? You don't have that much time to compound. 
Now, let me give you real, let me get real practical. John, come up here for a minute. Come here a minute. Let me show you something real practical. Compound interest. Watch this. This is sort of fun. John will wish he was 22 again. Be careful. 22. How many years ago is it you were 22? No, don't tell me. All right. Let's say John's 22. And let's say I'm 22. And let's say at age 22, John puts $2,000 a year into a savings account. Okay? $2,000 a year. He does it for six years. He does it until he's 28 years of age. Then he doesn't put any more money into it. Okay? So he's put $12,000. $2,000 a year, 22 to 28. You with me? Now he gets 12% interest for the rest of his life on that account. When he's 65 years of age, he'll have $1.2 million saved. Okay? Now, now, I start at age 28. I don't do it at age 22. I start at age 28. I put $2,000 a year into a savings account from age 28 to age 65. I do it every year. I'm getting 12% interest. I did it for 37 years. He did it for six years. He stopped. So from 28 to 65, he didn't put any more money in the savings account. He just had the 12. He ends up with $1.2 million. I did the $2,000 for 37 years. I end up at 65 at $1.2 million. The same amount that he did. You say, why is that? Because he had six years of compound interest working before I put $2,000 at age 28. And I can't catch up with that $6,000 until I'm 65. See the difference? It's amazing. Thank you. He's going to retire. <laughs> amazing. The magic of compound interest. Right? Now you say, what am I doing in college? How come I'm not putting this $2,000 in the savings account, right? <laughs> that would blow my whole... I wouldn't be chairman of the board very long. <laughs> Your college degree will be worth about a million to a million and a half dollars versus not having a college degree. Don't forget that. Okay, page five. Someday you're going to buy a house. Real quick. We're running out of time. Someday you're going to buy a home. Let's say you have a $60,000 mortgage. Forget the $100,000 one. Just look at the $60,000 mortgage. You're paying 11.5% interest for 30 years. You're going to pay $594 a month. That's the house payment. $7,130 a year. You'll spend $213,000 for that $60,000 loan. That means you paid $153,000 in interest over the life of that loan. Now, add $90 a month to your house payment. Instead of paying $594, pay $684. Look at the summary. You'll pay off the mortgage in 16 years, not 30, and you'll save $82,000 on interest. Just... Again, a stewardship principle on how you make house payments. Accelerate your payment. You pay it off quicker, you save all that interest. Go to the next one, page six. Let me show you how to buy a car. Let me show you how to buy a car. Haven't had a new car in 20 years, haven't had a car payment in 16 years. We don't have car payments. Let me show you how we did that. Let's supposing I wanted to get to the point today where I could pay cash for my cars. Here's what I would do. I subscribe to 2-4 junk. I buy cars two years old, drive for four years, and get rid of them. Okay? When I had the 72 Pinto, that was a real car we had. My son, Jim, said it was all junk. So he uh, didn't like to ride in it. You know what? I didn't have to loan it to him either. I just wish I didn't have all 72 Pinto's. It would have been a little cheaper. Here's what I would do. I'd go out and I'd buy a two-year-old Oldsmobile. Two-year-old Oldsmobile. You pay about $9,000 for it today. You put $2,000 down. You finance the balance of 12% for three years. When I buy it, I wouldn't buy it with more than 25,000 miles on it. I just bought one that's three years old with 19,000 miles on it. If I buy it from Hertz, Avis, or National Car, or one of those major leasing dealers, I'll get a 24,000-mile warranty or a two-year warranty. So you get a warranty with it. Now look what happens. Remember, I'm going to get to the point where I pay cash for my cars. First time, first year... I put 2000 down. I financed the balance at $232 a month for 36 months or three years. Remember, two, four, junk. I'm going to keep the car four years. Now, at the end of the third year, I own the car. It's free and clear. I don't owe any money on it. It's mine. The fourth year, I pay into savings $231 a month, paid into my own savings account. So I do that for 12 months. So at the end of 12 months, I have $2,790 saved. Interest on that money that year will be about $98. Now, at the end of the fourth year, the car is six years old. 
I don't care how many miles are on it. If I take care of it and sell it myself, I'll get 40 to 45 percent of what I paid for it. I can prove that. I've done that for 20 years. Now, let's say I sell a car, I get $4,000 for it. Now I got $6,888 to buy another car. Second time, fifth year, I go out and I buy another two-year-old Oldsmobile. Why do I buy Oldsmobiles? I like them. Number two, they're easy to maintain. Number three, they're easy to sell. It's hard to find a good used Oldsmobile today. So I go out and buy another two-year-old Cutlass. Now, because of inflation, instead of paying 9000 I pay 11000 for it. But I got $6,888 in cash to put down on it. So now I finance 4112 I finance 4112 at 12% for one and a half years. Now I'll pay 250 a month. I'm used to paying 232 what's another $18? Now, at the end of one and a half years, I own the car. The next two and a half years, I pay myself. So for $250 a month for two and a half years, I'll save $7,505. Interest on that $7,505 is a minimum of $250, probably closer to 1000 now I'll sell the Oldsmobile at the end of the fourth year. Now I get $4,700 for it. Now I got $12,500. I go out and pay cash for my next car. Every month, my wife and I put an amount of money in our savings account to pay for our next car. We're to the point now that after two years, we saved enough to buy the next car, including what we'll sell the car we have for. So the last two years, it's just savings, just builds our savings account. So we haven't paid, we haven't paid, had a car payment in 16 years. That's nice. That's nice. Again, principles of stewardship. Principles of stewardship. Buying new cars is very expensive. Listen to this. Money Magazine did a survey. Money Magazine did a survey of 60,000 readers of Money Magazine. And their goal was to find the eight major mistakes people make with money in this country in order of mistake. The number one mistake that people make in this country is we drive to the poor house. We buy the wrong cars. Students, we buy cars that massage egos, not that meet needs. Just the way it is. And Detroit has done an excellent job of massaging our egos. I need a car with a better paint job. I need a car with fabric instead of whatever the kind of seats they have. I need a car that's uh, got an eight-cylinder you know, I, I don't like the color anymore. I had a guy tell me that he bought a new car because the air conditioning button was too hard to push. I said, boy, that's really profound, you know. I had a guy tell me the other day he bought a $26,000 van. I said to him, why did you buy a $26,000 van? You don't have any kids. I'd like to know the reasoning. He said, well, he said, my number one reason was my parents and my wife's parents come out once a year to visit us. And we need transportation to pick them up at LAX. I thought, boy, now that is $26,000 to pick up mom and dad. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We can rationalize our way into anything if we just work at it. Look at page 7. Down towards the middle. Please, shop, please note the following list of suggested aids for your use in developing smart shopping habits. Look at this. Allow only one purchase at a time that is not a part of a budget. Never buy impulse items with credit. Stay out of the store unless it's necessary. Look at number two. Keep a calendar of gifting and gift giving events and plan ahead. Do not buy gifts on credit. Always use a written list of needs when you go grocery shopping. Never go grocery shopping when you're hungry. <laughs> Girls, you want to see this? Ladies, let me give you the example of, of, of advertising. Who can tell me how many aisles in a grocery store, even a rod? Odd. Why? You go down aisle one, you come up aisle two. You go down aisle three, you come up aisle four. When you're done shopping, where are you at? In the back of the store. What does that mean? You've got to come up another aisle the second time. Think that just happens? Oh, that just happens to have odd aisles? Are you kidding? Where's the milk and the bread? Is it in the front? No, it's always in the back. Why? You've got to go down at least two times down the same aisle or two different aisles. Where's the bakery? Usually in the front. You go into the store, where is it in the front? It's usually to the right, to your right. Why is that? Most of us are right-handed. You go into the store, you go to the right. Try to go to the store and go to the left. You'll wait for the other shoe to drop. Something's wrong. It's not, 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 it's not customary. You think that just happens that way? That's advertising. That's advertising. Where are the sales items in a, in a grocery store? Are they at eye level? Rarely. They're either high or low. Why? They want you going over the whole shelf. When you buy. If I was to summarize this last few minutes, what would I say? Number one, when you get to this point, control your credit cards. 
Number two, if you can't control your credit cards, don't have credit cards. You can't control credit cards, spit on them, cut them up, whatever you got to do, get rid of them. Number two, evaluate your standard of living. Continually evaluate your standard of living. You don't, we don't need four cars and two drivers. We don't need four cars and two drivers, right? Number three, have short and long-range goals for your family. What do you want to accomplish for the cause of Christ in your life? In 1990, by 1995, by the turn of the century. If you have children, what about those children? You want to go to a Christian college? When are you going to think about paying for it? When they're 18? That doesn't work too well. What about saving money when they're born? So that you can get them a good start when it's time to go to college. Number four, guard your financial integrity. Students, there's nothing wrong with looking at your life and feeling good about a job well done for God. In closing, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke's. Luke. Real quick, the book of Luke. Luke chapter 16. Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. Watch this. Luke 16, 10 and 11. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Now look at 11. If, therefore, ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? What is he saying here? If you have not been faithful with a mundane thing like money, do you think I'm going to commit to you souls? Students, you want a fruitful ministry for the cause of Christ in your life? If God can't trust you with the mundane things of life like money, do you think he's going to trust you with the real important things of life? Like people's souls? Like their lives? Why are we here? There's only one reason. To glorify the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when money gets in the way of that, or when our mishandling of money contradicts that, or causes us to violate that number one principle in our life, we've missed the whole point. God help us as Christians to understand that Satan is undermining everything we do as Christians. And one of the most vulnerable areas in our life is how we handle our money. Because if he can get a stranglehold on us there, he's got us. And once you get head over heels in debt, it takes years to get out of debt. Credit cards, short-term gain, long-term pain. And that is true. Short-term gain, long-term pain. God help us. Let's pray together.